Welcome to my monthly podcast titled Becoming a Sage. My name is Jan Freed, but you can call me Dr. Jan. I interview people about wisdom, how to find meaning on a daily basis, a concept I call breadcrumb legacy. I'm passionate about helping people get from where they are to where they want to be, particularly in the second half of life. I do this as a leadership coach, speaker, teacher, workshop facilitator. I also say I'm out to retire the word retirement. We're not retiring from life, but we're moving on to something else. And I believe it takes time and intentional thought to successfully move on to what's next in life. I interviewed Dr. Gina Cox. Gina is the CEO of Feels Human, an organizational psychologist. She's an executive coach and author of Leading Inclusion, Drive Change Your Employees Can See and Feel, an award-winning guidebook for corporate leaders who want to build an inclusive organization from the top down. Dr. Cox is a noted voice on human-centered leadership by helping leaders see that inclusion tops diversity. For more information on Gina, please refer to the bio attached to this podcast. Now listen to our conversation about human-centered leadership and why and how inclusion tops diversity. Well, welcome to the Becoming a Sage podcast, Gina. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be here. I didn't, no one has ever called me a sage. Oh, <laughs> and so I hope that I can offer those listening some, some nuggets, some tidbits that really are in the category of wisdom. <laughs> yeah, that you definitely will, because I've read your book, I reviewed your book, and um, it really is a guidebook. And that's what I like about it. Um, I first met Gina in the recognized expert community of which we're both members. This is a community started by Dory Clark. And after reading and reviewing Gina's book, Leading Inclusion, I wanted to interview her because of her wisdom on DEI, an important and timely topic for the world these days. Now, DEI uh, stands for diversity, uh, equity and inclusion, but we're going to get to how uh, Gina has a twist on that, which I really like. So we're going to get to that. Um, but I always say the most important person to lead is yourself anyway. And in this, you know, day and age, we should all know more about diversity, equity, inclusion. So I'd like to start by learning a little bit about your career journey and who or what inspired you the most along the way. Oh, wow, Jan, that's a great question. So, you know, when I was growing up, I wanted to be a journalist and I still want to be a journalist. You know, the stereotypical idea of the intrepid journalist going from point to point with a microphone and a notepad and getting these deep insights that nobody else could gather and then having like a blockbuster and, you know, all that stuff. I, that was the most amazing thing. And I think I still think like a journalist, but to answer your question very specifically then, how did I get from this desire to be a journalist to what I'm doing today is that at some point I got a, a, a psychology book when I was about 13 years old and I fell in love with psychology. That, my dad had given me this book and I don't remember why. And I decided there and then that I wanted to, I really wanted to understand human behavior. So the core of everything that I know today is about human behavior. And then the, you add the layer of the context of organizational life, you know, which is where I did a PhD in industrial and organizational psychology that mm -hmm. gave me this opportunity to really think about study and understand how the, the way that humans operate in, in an artificial environment, like the workplace. 
And the person who kind of helped me make all of those transitions to get to this point was a woman that I met when I was um, an, an undergrad student. She had done a PhD in uh, at, the, at the University of Michigan Institute for Social Research. And it was it's a top tier social research and uh, organization in the world, in my opinion. And she said, you know, there's this thing that you can sort of measure uh, how people, what they, what they think, what they do, and you can do that in this workplace context. And I fell in love. So that woman, Dr. Gaylene Peralt, is one of the most influential people in my entire professional career. Um, but then the other, probably, probably the other most important person that has influenced how I think and what I do is my daughter. Because until I became a parent, which happened uh, a very long time ago, you know, long enough that I have had the chance to stop and think about the world that I want for her, until that happened, I really wasn't thinking so much about the future. Mm -hmm. And so my work kind of evolved in the last, you know, 20 years to really think about what can I do to make the world better, especially for uh, people in my daughter's generation and, and the generations to come. So that's a little bit about, um, about, you know, how I think about what I do and why I, th I say that the thing that I know best is I understand humans in a work context. And I think that it's a very, very difficult context for humans uh, to, to operate in. <laughs> well, I think you're right. And what's interesting is I, my background, I taught for 30 years at a small liberal arts college in Iowa. And my favorite course to teach was organizational behavior. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And I just loved that course. And so then that's kind of what I lean on in my leadership work. Um, so that's very interesting. And I think, didn't you dedicate your book to your daughter? I think you did. I did. I definitely dedicated my book I to my daughter. That. Yeah, so that we could have a, you know, a better workplace for all of us. Um, because, you know, when I think about the challenges that we all face, whether it's in our homes, with our friends, with our loved ones, at work or wherever we are, in the end, it comes down to relationships, doesn't it? Everything that we, you know, we might, we might focus more on finance or we might focus more on marketing in some contexts, but the reality is it all comes down to the, to the, the interactions and how we, how we feel about ourselves and then what we put out into the world. And I try to remind people even with this so-called diversity equity and inclusion stuff to focus to, to sort of search their hearts and think about what you would want for yourself and then do that and you probably yeah. will be okay yeah no that's good advice and um no I agree it's all it's all about relationships and I also when I was teaching I created a, a diversity course now at that uh -huh. time I called it managing and valuing cultural diversity but I defined yes. diversity very broadly I mean, so your typical, you know, any ism. Yes. But I would even include lookism. And uh -huh. I mean, really very broadly. And I would bring in guest speakers on every topic because I said to the students, I can't speak on all these topics based yes. on life experience. Yes. So we had a film series. We had guest speakers, lots of readings. They had to journal. They had to write essays or opinion pieces. And um, I think it was a meaningful course. And I did that for, well, I probably created it, you know, uh, well, I've been gone now 10 years. It's hard to believe that. But, um, you know, I probably taught it for 25 years, but every year I would teach it, I would say, I hope that there's a day when this course is no longer needed. Yes, yes. And now, now, Gina, it's needed more than ever. Mm -hmm. So let's get into this. Um, you know, we often talk about diversity, but your focus is on inclusion. And what I appreciate about your book was how you include practical examples, executive summaries at the end of each chapter, and what you call, 
I don't know how you, do you say ready? I don't ready, know. ready. I say ready. Okay. Ready questions. And ready stands for respect, R for respect, E for equity, D for diversity, and I for inclusion. Why do you put respect, you know, right up front, front and center? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I call it respect first, um, okay. because frankly, um, all of these other things, diversity, inclusion, belonging, all the words that you hear in the alphabet soup, I don't think any of those things really matter or are sustainable unless individuals respect one another. So to me, respect is the foundation. It's the currency. It's the, it's the essential ingredient in all of these other things that we desire to have as we interact with people uh, at work or wherever we interact with them. And there is a difference too between you know diversity and inclusion. And so my book is specifically focused on inclusion because what I noticed is that uh, organizational leaders were real are being guided a lot to solutions that really address diversity and there's nothing wrong with that meaning sort of representation of various groups there's yeah. nothing wrong with that but ultimately what I'm really really interested in is regardless of the diversity what does what is the day-to-day -day experience that people are having what does it feel like as people are interacting with one another in an organization and do those experiences vary? as a function of who they are, right? Because everybody should generally have pretty much the same experience and be treated the same. So I'm interested in, in, um, in, in inclusion. And I think to make the distinction even clearer between what is diversity and what is inclusion, I like to say, you know, inclusion is feels like when you show up to a dinner party and you're the 11th guest and you discovered that there's only a place setting for nine, I'm sorry, a place setting for 10 and you're the 11th guest, there's no place for you to sit. There's no, there's no uh, plate. There's no glass. There's no silverware. And now you're trying to figure out, well, where do I fit in? How, do, what do I do here so that I can sit and have my meal? And by the way, the host doesn't even notice that you don't have a seat. That would be exclusion. And so when I think about inclusion, I'm really thinking about having then set that table for that 11th person so that by the time they show up, they have a place and they feel as comfortable as every other of the other people who are at the at this party. That is a great metaphor because we often talk about we need a women need a place at the table or so-and-so mm -hmm. needs to have a voice at the table. So yes. that's a great metaphor. Well, wonderful. And I totally agree with you. I mean, you know, if I were teaching that course today, my diversity course, I would be making lots of changes. Um, and particularly since Black Lives Matter and Me Too yeah. movement and yeah. Um, since the pandemic, we've all learned about social distancing, but you describe but you describe how reducing social distance can increase empathy. Mm -hmm. So explain how this works. Yeah, you know, here's it the seems thing. Opposite. It seems like they're going in different directions, but go ahead. Well, reduce if, as you get closer, you can be more empath, you know, empathetic. Yeah, so that's, I, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, be, I'm just basically saying that you know, no, in that's, our, that's true. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm just basically saying in our society that we are we are separated by, by all kinds of variations. You know, we're separated the people who are rich from the people who are not rich, the people who go to one religion from another religion, the people who live, uh, the people who we tend to be separated um, by these social factors. And unfortunately, the people who are separated by social factors or by economics, it tends to also end up being that certain ethnic and racial groups get separated from one another. So in our country, all of these social distancing, social separation, segregation makes it really hard 
for me, a black woman, to, 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 to meet Jan Freed, a white woman, just look you in the eye and vice versa and kind of like just be in the moment and, and do the things we have to do. I'm, and I'm not talking about me personally because I'm a lucky, I'm so lucky because I interact with so many different people. I'm just thinking <laughs> the average person does not, however. Now you might have those interactions in the workplace if you're lucky, meaning people who don't look like you. You might have those interactions in the workplace, but then at the end of the day, we go home to segregated homes, neighborhoods, libraries, grocery stores, churches, everything, playgrounds, everything then gets separated out again. And so that's what makes it hard. If I don't, if I don't see you, hear you, understand how you think, it's very hard for me to be empathetic. So I'm all for finding ways for people to connect. I think I say, I talk about my three C's, you know, curiosity. Mm-hmm. Curiosity leads to connection and connection leads to what I think is the outcome we're all looking for. That third C, comfort, curiosity, connection, and comfort. They go together. I, it is very difficult to be comfort, comfortable and at ease with someone with whom you're not connected and, you, and about whom you know nothing. So I, the one thing that anybody listening to this um, uh, show could remember is that each of us, can. we have the power to do one thing, and that is to be curious about the world around us, including the people in it. And when we meet people and we are we are interested in them, they sense our interests, and that makes you us more attractive to them. So we get closer. And then that is what we need in order to, for the possibility of building connection. And until we build a connection, how would we ever be comfortable with one another? That's wonderful. And I love the word curious, curiosity also. And, um, and like I said, given the pandemic, this is even more important work. You know, how can we come back together, especially as organizations are trying to weave themselves, you know, weave the culture back together? Yes. Um, Well, I've heard you say you're optimistic that workplaces will improve significantly. Tell us why you're optimistic and and in what ways do you see them improving? Oh, I'm optimistic for a variety of reasons. First of all, I do think that the death of George Floyd was a point in time that where things changed. Now, I'm not saying that things are are where they need to be, but I do think it was enough of a jolt to the system that everybody had to pay attention to what the heck is going on here. And so to me, that was the upside of that very unfortunate tragedy. And I see that that means that there's been more conversations about this issue. So that's one point of optimism. But my my real optimism is actually built on other things. It's built on the fact that Generation Z is in the workforce. And Generation Z is all about, look, look, they, 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 they wear their hearts on their sleeves in terms of their opinions about how the world should be. And in that world that they foresee, they include social justice, environmental equity, and all of these other issues that we older people haven't thought about as much as priorities. So Generation Z is pushing organizations in a direction to say, look, get over it. Let's just find a way to, can't we all just get along here and get this thing done? And I think that's that's another, so that's another point of optimism. Another point of optimism for me though, is the world is getting smaller. The world is getting smaller. I mean, it is to the point where because of technology, 
we can interact with people all over the world and get to understand people all over the world. I do think this is an opportunity where there's every reason to think that as people understand other people's experiences a little bit more, as I said before, they're more likely to realize that it does matter what somebody over there in Australia is experiencing as much as it matters what somebody over here on a reservation in Wyoming is experiencing. And I think sharing all of this information, getting the stories out to wider audiences, I think is going to help us all better understand why we've had a challenge and then maybe what we can do to address those challenges. Yeah. Well, I would definitely agree. Your message is so important in this time of polarization. Yes. So it, your positive message of hope is wonderful. Well, my passion is legacy. And so I like to ask my uh, interviewees, my guests, how do you define legacy and can you share a legacy story? Oh, that's such an and interesting I know question. that I'm, I'm, you know, I'm throwing this at you. It's not so probably thought much about. Yeah. Oh, but it, it is not something I've thought much about, except that I have, but not, you know, not for the show, but when I hear the word legacy, what I think about, and I might've used it myself a little bit earlier when I was talking about my vision for how I want to change the world. When I think about legacy, I think about something that is, um, that is important and valuable, not because of, you know, like financial value, but because of a feeling that it generates in another person. So sometimes a legacy thing is a thing, like somebody might give you an heirloom that is passed down from their grandmother and you cherish this thing. It's not just because of its, of its economic value, but you're cherishing it because you're thinking about all about the people, the humans that were involved and touched this thing and wore this thing. So to me, legacy is always interwoven with that emotional connection about people who make a positive impact in your life. And mm -hmm. therefore, it, and that can translate into a variety of things. And so when I think of legacy, I, there's the number one person on my list is my grandmother, my, my, my maternal grandmother. Because my maternal grandmother um, is to me like, a, you know, she's like a Maya Angelou. She's like a, a Hillary Clinton in the sense she didn't have that scope of influence. But as I was growing up with her, this was a woman that had such fun foundational common sense about how the world operated. And she understood so much, even though she was not highly uh, educated in the formal sense, she didn't go to college. But what she taught me was how important it is to kind of really, um, to kind of know yourself. She knew herself in, the, in, in a way that I can't even articulate well with words. And because she knew herself, what I got from her was this confidence and feeling of being protected and safe uh, with her. And so I would watch the things that she did. And this woman was constantly creating something with her hands. She, she, would, she created her own business. She just did all these things. But the key of the, the essence of the, her legacy story is that she taught me that you can do anything that you set your mind to. Because that's what I saw her do every day whatever it was, whether it was that she was going to pick something from a tree and, and from it, she was going to make a, a juice for the table. I was like, how did she do that? Whatever it was. Um, so legacy is about the, the, in my opinion, I'm going to focus on the positive emotional connections that transcend, you know, time and space. And that can bring you back to the, and to that feeling like I'm having in this very moment, as I'm thinking about her and wouldn't we all wish that we could have that impact on other people too? Oh, that's a beautiful story. Thank you.
Yeah, that's a beautiful story. Well, I always like to ask my guests, what else should I have asked that my listeners need to know? Kind of your last words of wisdom. You know, what didn't I ask that you love to share with people? Yeah, you know, the only thing I would want to go say again a little bit more about is this whole idea of, of my optimism. And when I talked about curiosity, I want people to, to know that, um, you know, these issues that we call diversity, equity, and inclusion can sometimes seem unsurmountable. And I think the reason they seem unsurmountable is because we've been taught that they are so difficult and we've been taught that we don't know much about it and we can't do much right, that we're going to make more mistakes than we get right. And I'm here to say to you, you got, you are going to make mistakes. All of us are going to make mistakes. But what I would prefer to frame that, or how I would prefer to reframe that whole idea is to say, it is in the effort and in the making of the mistakes that we will then all see the humanity that is associated with these issues. Because these issues are about the human experience. So making mistakes, reaching out, being curious, reaching out, and still making a mistake, but then knowing at the end of the day, I learned something from that, or I I, learned, I met a new person, or I feel like I'm a little further on my path towards connecting with somebody who doesn't look like me. I think that's the most important thing, and we can all do it. Well, yeah, that's a great answer. Well, we should all remember that. And again, you know, what, you, what your book talks about, yes, there's a workplace focus, but what you're teaching people in the book and what you're talking about can be applied, like you said, in churches and schools and wherever we're going, wherever yes. we're going. I think that's really important. Well, I know I've learned a lot about ready, uh, respect, equity, diversity, and inclusion. So I'm sure my listeners have also. Gina, my focus is on helping people make the rest of life the best of life. So may the rest be the best for you. Oh, fantastic. I love that. I absolutely love that. Uh, and, and that's certainly what I would hope for for you. And I want to wish you the best of the season and to your listeners as well. Thank you very much.